you? I am Michelle Gifford. Hey, I'm Sarah Allred. We are the girls behind Women With Fire, and we specialize in building influencers. Welcome to the podcast. Listen as we chat with influential women who feel guided by the divine to build empires of truth at home, in business, and abroad. The goal here is to empower you to grow your influence everywhere. Join the nation of women who get things done at thewomenwithfire.com. Hey, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Women With Fire podcast. I am dying because I am sitting across from Mandy from Vintage Revival. We are so excited that you're here. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here. So here's the thing. This was really meant to be. I don't know. So crazy how, I mean, I've met Mandy before. um, Yes. But... Two weeks ago, I was on in the airport in Utah, and I had this crazy flight to Utah where I talked to this 74-year-old man for, like, the whole trip. And anyway, it was awesome. And then I got off the plane, and I just felt like I had to end the conversation and go. And so I did, which I was like, that's weird. That was abrupt. And then when I was (laughs) – then I'm walking past – mcdonald's in the airport and i see mandy and her husband i was like wait a minute what is happening and so then i stopped and talked to her and i was like we're getting you on the podcast and here we are i feel like i feel like we've talked about doing the podcast before but it just hasn't ever like happened because timing has to be right right it does it has to be the right time and so anyway and then i left you and I went to the bathroom and came back and there was my friend Bill, who I'd met on the airplane and he was lost. And I was like, <laughs> so what is happening? Finish the conversation with Bill. <laughs> so I had to stop my conversation with Bill to meet Mandy so I could get her on the podcast right now. And then I helped Bill find Cafe Rio. So I basically changed <laughs> his life. <laughs> that is He's awesome. Like, what should you I do? You never know I, how things are going to work out. <laughs> So um, anyway, that was a long introduction without any meat. I would love for Mandy to tell me a little bit. <laughs> tell me a little bit. Um, if people don't know you, where are you? Where okay. have you been? But tell me, tell them who you are and why you're here. Yeah. So my name is Mandy Gubler. I live in Southern Utah, and I have a DIY home decor renovation blog called Vintage Revivals. And I think we're going to dive into like more info about the blog, but I started it eight years ago and I have a really cute husband that is awesome and just goes along with whatever I want to do in our house (laughs) and three children (laughs) and two dogs. So living the life is what you're doing. Living the dream. (laughs) A husband that just lets you do whatever you want. That's like, what's your house? That's awesome. Yeah, he's the best. So will you let's let's talk about vintage revivals. Tell me about how that got started. Tell me like what what it started out as and how it's kind of uh, transformed in the like years. Ten years has it been yeah. ten years. It's been eight years, eight years, which is basically like ninety years in Blogland. It is. You're an ancient. That changes so fast. I'm like a grandma, but I love old people, so I feel fine being a grandma. Um, so I started in July of 2010 and in September, the previous year, Court and I had bought our first home and it was like a short sale, very builder grade. 
everything was beige and my, I think we're going to get into it in a little bit. Sorry, I keep saying that, but like, there's so much to talk about. Just go, um, just go with it. If you t- okay. talk about it now, that's great so, too. Yeah. Okay. So Court is a recovering addict. And at the time when I started the blog, his addiction was just at the height and I had completely lost myself. And so we had this house and all my friends were kind of in the same situation where they were buying their first house, but then they were going to Ashley Furniture and buying black, slightly distressed living room groups. And we just could not afford that. Like we were barely surviving as it was. And so it just felt like another thing that separated us from like the normal people in our lives who like made all the right decisions. And and so I kind of stumbled upon the world of DIY blogs and was so inspired by what these women were doing. Like they were going to the thrift store and they were buying like this ugly furniture from the seventies and painting it with spray paint and glazing it. And it was like, a whole <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> I was like, I can't afford, you know, a living room group from Ashley furniture, but I can afford an $8 end table from the DI. And so that's where I started. I literally knew nothing. So my first project that I did, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. It was this yellow end table and it, it was like bad, gross seventies wood. And I spray painted it bright yellow. Like the color is actually called sun yellow and court gets home from work and he pulls in the driveway and there is this giant square of yellow <laughs> spray paint. Cause I didn't know that you're supposed to drop <laughs> down. No one told me that in their tutorial. And so he was like, what is happening? And then he came in and I was so happy about this yellow end table. And that just kind of started it all. So I, I had never done projects before I started the blog. I started the blog and started doing projects at the same time. So do so you still you have that back, yellow table? I feel like you oh, should have gotten rid of it. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know there was just so much to learn. Like the texture of it was like, I had sprayed it with rhino liner because I didn't know that you were supposed to like shake the can of primer really well before you spray. So like this really heavy texture. I did not care. I freaking loved it. <laughs> what I like about this story is because right now, if you look at your Instagram feed and you see all of the really intricate designs that you're doing, it started with a sun yellow. Guys, it started with a <laughs> lot of really bad projects. So if you're feeling like maybe you want to decorate your house, but then you feel like you can't because you're not awesome let me be the first to tell you, I also was not awesome. And you just never know what can happen if you just start doing stuff. Which I love. And actually, one of our listeners, Lindsay Lee, at Lindsay Lee, she says, when you're decorating your home, how do you let go of the pressure to have a perfectly curated home? Because I, because it's easier go to, to go to Ashley Furniture, right? And buy a set. 100%. Do not do that, though, you guys. Green <laughs> room groups are like the worst thing you could ever do. So, so Lindsay, should I address Lindsay? Yeah, Lindsay, I totally understand. And I actually get this question a lot. And I think it's really easy when you are looking on Pinterest and at blogs and on Instagram to see everyone's perfectly decorated 
home that all of their plants are alive and their kids <laughs> must not touch anything. <laughs> but let me be the first to tell you that that is not the reality in most situations. And, you know, trends come and go, but the most important thing for your house is that you love it. So if you don't love, like, this farmhouse trend that's happening right now, then it's okay to not follow it, to just, like, be yourself. But how do you do that? (laughs) Because I think it's so tricky because, right, we have all of these things to compare ourselves to. Oh, totally. So this might be a little bit, like, sacrilegious, but I actually rarely go on Pinterest because I, when I go on and I see all of the beautiful pictures and I see all of the amazing projects, I'm like, dang it, there's no projects left to do. And it totally kills my creativity. And so I would say find people who actually inspire you and whose lives kind of are in the same place that yours is. So like I get on Pinterest and Like, oh my gosh, I need a white kitchen. Everything needs to be perfectly white. And then I look around and I remember, oh yes, I have children, first of all. Second of all, I hate cleaning. It's like my worst thing ever. (laughs) So I probably shouldn't have everything white. You just have to find what works for you. But you you have to start doing stuff and you have to be willing to go through the trial and error process because I do that with every single project that we do. There is always failure. There is always failure. And so how do we, so how, where would you start? Like, where would you tell someone to start? Like maybe just like try an end table or, you know, try new painting or where would someone that hasn't ever decorated start? That's a great question. So if you're doing furniture, I would 100% recommend going to the thrift store or going to Ikea or going somewhere where the furniture is really inexpensive and practicing on that first. Because you don't want to like pull out your grandma's antique dresser that she carried in a hand cart across the plains and start with that. Don't spray paint it. Don't spray paint that. It's not a good (laughs) idea, you guys. It's just not. So start with something that is like not that big of a deal and learn with that. And so much of DIY, like, yes, it's so cool to save money and be creative and all of that. But the best part is the feeling of accomplishment and the learning process, like learning how to create things and learning what styles you love in your house. And I think it's really easy. You know, if most of us probably live in, a fairly basic house, like beige, nothing too fancy. They're not like over the top. They're just, you know, like starter to like maybe your second home. And it's, they're very lacking in the personality department. And so you can bring stuff in and do that and change it. You don't have to spend a ton of money. You just have to use a little bit of creativity and just don't just buy everything. It's really easy to just like swipe up, and buy whatever everyone is telling you to buy, but really like stop and think about how you want your house to feel. And if that piece makes you feel that way. So like for me, I always want my house to feel welcoming and happy and kind of a little bit weird and 
unlike anything else in Southern Utah, because there's a lot of beige here. And <laughs> so when we were in our first house, like that was my jumping off point. So I did, I switched out all the light fixtures and we painted and we installed, you know, faux brick in our living room. And it's just always a process. Unless you're the type of person that just wants to have it like done once and leave it. And then I can't help you because that's way too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell me about that because I think that, because what it's seeming, you started this blog at a really hard time in your life, right? Yes. Yes. So how did starting this blog, I mean, you didn't start it for money, right? You just started no, it to no do it. No one was making money on blogs at that time, at least no one that I knew of. So how did um, starting this help you? Like, because it seems like if oh you are gosh. struggling, if you're struggling, then maybe you should take on more things, you know, but I, but I have found that that's sometimes not true. Like I, so how has that helped you? That's such a great question. So when I started the blog and court was just like in the throes of addiction, um, it had been going on for about eight years and I had just completely lost myself. I didn't have a lot of self-confidence anyways, but addiction just sucks all good things out of your life. Like it's just like this vortex of crap. <laughs> and I just had completely lost myself. And when I felt like this little spark of creativity, I didn't have anything else going on in my life. Like I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't, I still don't like to work out. And I just, I just didn't have anything. And so starting the blog and starting projects really unlocked my creativity. And for me, and this is different for everyone for sure, but for me, creativity is very spiritual. When I am being creative and connected with new ideas and working out problems and just like in the process of creativity, that is when I feel the spirit so strongly guiding me for sure and inspiring me. And so I try as hard as I can to get into that space, but I learned really quickly that that was, that was where I found a lot of spirituality and where I felt like I was doing what Heavenly Father wanted me to do. Well, Even it, if it was painting stuff yellow. <laughs> and that stuff, we mean your driveway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, my hand. But I do. But there is, I mean, President Uchtdorf has that famous talk, right, about how we are supposed to create. Like, that is what yes. we're here for. And I do think that... Part of it is finding out what we're supposed to create. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I am 100%. not a DIY furniture person, but I like to take pictures, and I feel like that's a, that's a way. So why do you think you were drawn to DIY? Like, was that something that you had done? I know you hadn't done it before, but you just saw it, and it was the timing was right, or had um, how to yes. go? Yes. So I feel like I'm always looking back, I like never had a talent. I never had like a thing that I was good at. Like I'm really uncoordinated and I can't sing. Like I can barely talk. <laughs> You're doing great. And, <laughs> hey. um, but I like, I didn't have like a normal talent. And that was really hard for me when I was in high school and growing up because your talents pretty much define your social life. And I didn't have that. And so 
I was given a blessing and told that I had talents that will be made known at a later date in my life. And I didn't know what that meant. Like one day I'm just like going to learn to sing and I'll be able to sing like what? That doesn't make any sense at all. But I think for me, and honestly, for everyone, creativity is not just being able to draw or being able to paint. It is ideas and it's taking taking things and looking at them differently and being willing to like go through a process of learning and failing. And, and then so much of it is tied into this just like complete satisfaction of you did this. Like this is something that did not exist or that existed and was totally overlooked and unloved and thrown away and forgotten. And you turned it into something better. And I think that that's something that Heavenly Father wants all of us to be able to do, not just like with furniture or buildings, but with people and with ourselves, like seeing where the weaknesses are and then work on them and turn it into something that is just like unrecognizable. And so my cute husband, he's the best. I actually did not realize this until we were doing an interview. And he said that I have this gift of seeing things for their potential in all aspects of my life. And I was like, Oh, you're so cute. (laughs) And I was like, but that's so true. Like that is, that is definitely a spiritual gift. And it's, you know, not listed in the scriptures as a spiritual gift. Like it's not like the gift of tongues or whatever, (laughs) but, but that is definitely something that Heavenly Father has blessed me with. Yeah, even as you were talking, um, that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because this is a reoccurring theme, right? Even in this like short time that we've been talking is that is that we're going to have failures and we can still make something really beautiful about like with whatever we're doing. So why don't we why don't we go there? Like why don't you give a little bit of a background to your husband and the addiction because you have made this like a huge part of who you are online and you're obviously very open about it. And I like, it's changed. I think it's changed um, the conversation about addiction. Like you person that your story personally has changed the conversation about addiction. And I think that's huge. So give us a little background. Yeah, that's so nice. I mean, I don't think I'm that powerful, but thank you for thinking that I'm cool. <laughs> you are, well, <laughs> obviously. Um, so my husband court is, the most wonderful human being on the planet. He is so funny and he is just so driven and he's just such a good guy. And when I met him, I knew instantly that I loved him and I was going to marry him. And about six months into our relationship, he came to me and told me he was addicted to prescription pain pills. And me being the eternal optimist that I am, I was like, that's okay. I can fix you. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't actually work like that for anyone who has been a part of someone else's addiction. They're probably laughing and nodding their head in agreement because you all have, I mean, we all have the best intentions, but it just isn't actually possible to change someone else. So we were engaged to be married and my parents were like, no, this is not a good idea. And I was like, but I love him. (laughs) (laughs) And so we ended up not getting married. We were supposed to be married in November. In December, I found out that I was pregnant with our oldest daughter, Ivy, who is now 14, just like for a time reference. 
And in May, so we were married in February. In May, I was at a doctor's appointment and court was really, really sick from withdrawals um, because he didn't have any pills to take that morning. And so I went into my doctor's appointment and it was just very, I mean, obviously I was in a really bad situation, but it, it was kind of like I came to the realization that I was in a really bad situation. And so that night I made court pray with me and it had been a very long time since I had prayed at the time we were not involved in the church at all. Um, even though we were both raised in the church, we just kind of did our own thing and went our own way. And, but I knelt down and I asked heavenly father to take court's addiction away and to make it so that he could be sober so that we could live this, what I thought would be a completely healed life if he would just take the addiction away. Like if the the addiction wasn't there, then everything else would be fine. And the next day I got a phone call. I was at work and I picked it up and this automated voice says, you have a collect call from Purgatory Correctional Facility. Will you accept the charges? And I was like, what? (laughs) And court had been arrested and was in long story short, he ended up being gone in jail and in rehab for six months. So he was in jail and then he went to outpatient or an inpatient treatment center in Cedar city. And while he was there, our daughter was born and they actually brought him down and he, he got there 10 minutes after she was born and he came walking into the hospital room. He had a police escort And he had on handcuffs and shackles on his ankles and he could stay for two hours. And then they took him back to rehab. That was in August. And then he went back to jail and ended up coming home in the end of November. So he was gone from like May to November. And I just was so naive to all things addiction. I didn't understand any of it. So when he got home, he was sober for three years. And in our house and in the 12 step program, there's a huge difference between sobriety and recovery. So he was sober, like he wasn't actually using drugs, but his behaviors were still the same. So it was like he was using drugs. He just wasn't. And during that time, my addiction, which is codependency, really blossomed. (laughs) And (laughs) I became just this crazy wife. Like I thought if I could make it so he couldn't get pills, that his addiction would go away. And I like double checked everything and triple checked everything. And I was like a private investigator and our marriage obviously really struggled during this time. And we were together and separated and going to get a divorce and back together. And in So Ivy was born in 2003, no, 2003. And then in 2009, we had Dylan, our daughter. And that really, you know, it was really hard to find out when you're not sure if your marriage is going to survive, that you're going to have another baby. But it made us really make the decision, like, are we going to stay together or are we not? And if we are, then we need to do it. So decided to stay together. And um, I started going back to church because I just felt like I needed 
spirituality in my life again. Like it was just, it was, I kind of had hit that rock bottom point where I was like, okay, maybe what I was taught my whole life is true and I can be happy. And so we started going back to church and we had a really great bishop that told court that he needed to go to the LDS 12 step addiction recovery program meetings. And (laughs) I wish he was here so you could like hear it in his own voice, but his response, like the thing he always says when we speak about this, he, he just says, I just, I thought the Bishop was crazy. I looked at him and I was like, so you're telling me that John Smith who's addicted to Pepsi Cola is going (laughs) to have the same, like he's going to be in the meetings and that, that, and I'm like a real drug addict that has been to jail. And it was, it's so funny. He's so funny. <laughs> We started going and it took a few, like probably a year of going to meetings before court actually got sober. And so I started my blog right at the tail end of that. And he got sober September 4th, 2010. So do you mean and, sober or recovered? Oh, recovery. Great oh. question. Yes. So he got into recovery. And, you know, we had tried inpatient treatment and outpatient treatment and AA and Al-Anon. And it was really ultimately the church's 12-step addiction recovery meetings that helped us. Because, honestly, because of the Savior and because of the atonement and because of the spirits that that is there. It's unlike the spirit that you will feel anywhere else on the earth. It is so amazing. And so in December, well, so I think one of the questions I get asked a lot is, don't you worry about him relapsing? Or how did you know that this time was different? And I think anyone who has dealt with addiction has that question. Like that's their first the question at the forefront of their mind. And for me, I knew it was different because he had the spirit with him and he was different. And I don't worry about him relapsing because I have the spirit with me. And I know that I will feel promptings and I will feel uneasy if something is going on. And so I don't let I don't let that what if consume my life. But in December 2010, I had started my blog and it was kind of getting a little bit of traction and I felt really strongly that I needed to share our story and what we had been through and I mean at that time like court only was in had been in recovery for a handful of months, but I wrote my blog post and I put it out there and I had no idea what heavenly father um would have, I had no idea what he was going to do with my willingness to share that, like how many people it has reached. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that the talents that I have that just like miraculously happened to come into my life at this time are not a coincidence and that they are from him and they've been developed because the cooler the projects that I can do, the more people I can reach and the more people will find our story and find the hope that can come through Jesus Christ. 
I've heard you speak about this in person and um, there is so much power. You have so much power. And I, and I think that really, I, like I said before that I, your blog post in 2010, I mean, that's, that's all, seems like a long time ago. And, but this is an issue that isn't being talked about enough. I, and I really do think, especially in our church, when it's kind of hidden, right? We kind of hide it under the oh, rug sure. and pretend like it's not happening. And that's the worst that you could do. The yeah, worst. It is 100% the worst. And it's not just addiction, you know, to drugs or alcohol, it pornography and social media and like this need to have these seemingly perfect lives and the reality is like, if you think about the people in your life that you know, and you know what struggles they have and you know what they've lived through, you have such a deeper love for each of them. And just think what would happen if we were all willing to share the hard things that we have gone through or are going through and connect with people who also have gone or are going through the same thing because so much of it Satan tells us, like, you can't talk about this because they're going to judge you and you're going to be shunned and your kids aren't going to have friends and you're not worth any of this. But he makes us feel like we are so alone in our struggles, but we are not at all. And that's why 12-step meetings are so powerful because you go and everyone that is there shares what they're struggling with and you can relate to all of it. It's amazing. So how do we do that? Because I think, so you, because right now you run or help facilitate 12-step meetings. So, Is that true? or? So Court and I are church service missionaries, and we have a meeting that we do here in St. George. It's Wednesday night, 730 at the Institute building. But that is the meeting that we started going to when we started actually going to the meetings in 2009. And so I have been in that room every Wednesday night with, you know, a few exceptions for nine years. And I have seen miracles happen. Like, I believe, you know, it's really easy to look at statistics with addiction and say, oh, you know, only one in 30 is actually going to stay sober and have a productive life. And And they're very grim, but I believe with every fiber of my soul that anyone can recover. The atonement does not just apply to some people. It applies to everyone. And what it boils down to is willingness. Are we willing to do the things that Heavenly Father has asked us to do? Are we willing to be healed? Are we willing to just, like, accept that the atonement will work for us and choose to live a way that it can, that it can change us. I mean, it just all comes down to willingness. I would love to hear your thoughts on, because I I think when we are dealing with addiction, it's clear for the person who's addicted that they need help. But I think, I mean, and you've kind of shared your process with being the support of the addicted and I think that's a whole different healing, right? A whole oh, different completely. healing. And um, so I would love to kind of have you speak on that. Like what, what did you see yeah. happen? 
So it's very interesting. And being in the 12-step program and seeing so many people come in and out and there's definitely a very defined pattern that most people follow. So usually behind every good addict, you will find a codependent. It's usually the spouse. Sometimes it's the children. Sometimes it's the parents. Sometimes it's all of them. That's just trying to keep everything together, trying to protect them from the consequences of their choices and trying to punish them and make it so that like, the way my codependency worked, I was, um, I tried to control Courtney and his using with my feelings. So I was like highly emotional all the time because that was the only way I could get any sort of reaction out of him. And so if there's someone in your life that is coded or that is an addict, chances are that you have some codependency issues because you love them. And because codependency is really hard to define because like, you know, for an alcoholic, Yes, they have behaviors, but a lot of the times you define alcoholism by taking a drink, like by actually consuming alcohol. But codependency, it's really easy to to say, you know, well, I'm not codependent. I just love my husband and I'm just trying to help him, which I get because I also have been there for so many years. So it's really interesting when the spouse gets into recovery, the addict, when they're like working and becoming better. For so long, the, the codependent spouse was kind of the stable one, the one that was like keeping everything together and doing really good. And the addict was the problem and always screwing up. So when the addict gets into recovery and starts doing better and everyone forgives them and loves them and like welcomes them back into their lives and they're so much happier, this, the codependent spouse is like, well, what the heck? Like, you're just going to get better. I've been dealing with this for however many years and I'm not using drugs and now you're just better. And I still have all of this stuff that you put me through and it becomes like a really resentful situation. And honestly, the best thing that anyone going into recovery can do is find a meeting that is not just for the husband's, or not just for the wives, but is for both. So like a recovery for all meeting, that's what they're called in the LDS 12-step program. And go to those meetings with your spouse. Go to at least one one meeting a week with your spouse because it will change everything. Like when you see the atonement working in your spouse's life, it's so much easier to forgive and to move forward and to allow it to work in your life also. But that's something that we see a lot, like, the, the codependent spouse is like, well, you're the problem, go get help. And then they go get help. And they're like, what, you're just going to go get help. Like, <laughs> it's funny, It's funny, but it's very real. And I also like, I, I dealt with that. I have so many friends who also have dealt with that. It's just a really normal thing. Because codependents don't think that they, like, they're kind of the victims of the situation. And so if the addicted spouse can just get better, then they'll be fine, not realizing how much damage was actually done to them as well because of the addiction. And now a small break, a word from those who make this podcast possible. This 
podcast is powered by Entreport. Entreport is our number one business tool. It literally does it all. Email marketing, sales funnels, automation, and it basically keeps your business running even when you're sleeping. Not only is Entreport the backbone of our businesses, but you can design a full-blown website using their customizable landing pages. It is the one-stop powerhouse shop where we keep our email lists, growth, marketing goals, and businesses at their very best. Check out the show notes or jump on thewomenwithfire.com slash Entreport to get started. And now back to the Women With Fire podcast. Well, the the thing I'm seeing, like even with Corinne from an arrow, and I feel like the when women are willing to stand up and admit and accept that this is happening, except in a way that I don't mean like just accepting, but you know, it just being able to say it out loud and and own it and then take care of it. That that's like there's a lot of power in women. And so if you were to speak like to the women who are listening or, you know, women of the church or the world and like, what could, what can we do to help this situation? You can honestly share where you are at in your life and you don't have to like stand up in Sunday and testimony meeting and talk about how you're, you know, you're dealing with addiction or, whatever, but just find someone or a few people that you can honestly share and then be the type of person that when someone tells you something like that, that your first instinct is to love them and to not run and share their juicy gossip with someone else. Like, honestly, when we can love other people the way that the Savior loves us, it changes everything because you, it just, it just changes everything. And honestly, that is why, um, why we stayed in the 12 step program because there was this adorable older missionary couple, elder and sister Wills. And we would go into these meetings and, you know, at the height of addiction, like there's not a soul on earth that wants to be in the same room as you. And we would go into these rooms and they loved us. They just radiated love and they would hug us and they would, you know, they made us feel like we were important to them. And a lot of times, especially with addicts, it's really easy to shame them to death, honestly, because of their bad choices. But it's never going to make someone better ever. But loving them will. So when you shared in 2010, and I know you felt prompted, but how did you do that? Because that's a hard, it's a hard step to take. And you also were probably not as big as you are now, right? I'm assuming you've grown in the last (laughs) eight years, but like a um, little, (laughs) a little bit. So how in that defining period, because it was a time when you're kind of defining who you were as a blogger, how did you dis- have the courage to take that step to make that a part of your story? So for me, if I feel like I need to share something or if I feel 
prompted to do something, I just do it. Whether it's something like sharing that or whether it's like buying a cool piece of art at the DI or whatever it is like, if I feel strongly about something, you're not going to stop me from doing it. And I just, I felt really strongly that I needed to share. So I didn't realize at the time how much writing everything down would help me process it. Cause you know, we had eight plus years of dealing with addiction in my marriage. And I just didn't, I just had to, like, you just have to work through so much stuff. And that helped me work through it so, so much. And I don't know if, you know, publicizing stuff on the internet is right for everyone, but going to meetings and sharing in the meetings is one way to totally bless other people's lives. Or finding a friend who seems to be struggling and telling them, you know, what you've been through in your life and just letting them feel like they're not alone because Satan really likes to isolate us and make us feel that we are. That's an important um, point to, to point out. (laughs) 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 That's important to point out that the reason why you were like you just felt compelled to do this. And I, and because of that, God can take it and make it what it is now where it's a big deal, but we all need to figure that out for ourselves. Like what's the best way. And I don't, and whether it's, whether you're dealing with someone with addiction or it's, it's just your on or your influence. Like, I think that we will, we can go forward with confidence in whatever we're doing if we know with the spirit that this is what we're supposed to do. So one of the things that is interesting because you had, when you started this blog, you weren't full blown like back in the church, right? Or were you? Um, No. So when we, when we started, we were, I was going, but it was really hard because we were seeing our Bishop and he kept telling court, you know, you need to, go to these meetings and like you need to get into recovery. And I wanted to go to the temple and I was like, well, I'm going to go whether I'm going with you or not, I'm going to go. And my mom was like, Mandy, slow down. You're, you're going to be fine. Like you guys will make it. You just need to like give him time. And I remember going into the Bishop's office and being like, if he is sober today, what day can we go to the temple? And the Bishop was like, no, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, but why? <laughs> um, and so we had started getting more involved in the church. But honestly, and I, I know that people who are in the throes of addiction right now, this sounds like just completely insane. But Court's addiction and my addiction is the greatest, the singular greatest blessing of my entire life. Because it taught me about the atonement and it taught me about the Savior in a way that I never would have learned sitting in Sunday school or in Relief Society. And and I think that that's why I am so willing to share what we have gone through because I want everyone to understand how much Heavenly Father loves them and how much 
of a gift repentance is and how because of Jesus Christ, we can be made whole. And one of my favorite lines from the 12-step manual that I think sums so perfectly what the atonement does for us or one of the things that it does for us says, because of the love and grace of the Savior, you do not have to be what you have been. And I think addict or not, we all want that. Like we all want to be better. And it's because of him that we can be. And so now we are obviously way more involved. We actually were sealed in the temple about a year later. And that was amazing. And I've just been involved ever since. But I mean, we, we always joke like, we don't know a lot about the church. We just know a lot about the atonement. And so, <laughs> like, I don't have a strong testimony about food storage or, <laughs> you know, other, other church things. Like, I just know about the atonement, and it all comes back to that for me. Well, it should come that, back to that for everyone, yeah, right? <laughs> that is the sure. gospel. <laughs> that is the essence of the gospel. The other stuff is just stuff. And, and I, that's, that's one of the things that when I was reading your um, blog post, you know, back in 2010, is that you say that even back then, that your situation was perfect for you and not perfect yeah. in that it was free from trial or, you know, free from hurt, but it was perfect in that it was how you could be taught and brought to Christ. Yes, for sure. There is, I'm probably going to butcher this, but probably in like 2000 and, oh my gosh, probably like 2013 and 2014, a guy wrote, what's his name? Christopher Jones, I think, had lost his son and he wrote a Facebook post that I will never forget. And in it, his wife said something about this is the price that she had to pay to know the savior. And I just think like, what are we willing to like, what price are we willing to pay to know him? Are we willing to go through addiction? Are we willing to lose a child? Or Like, you know what I mean? Like when it comes down to it and you have to look back at your life, what price are we are we willing to pay to know him, to really know him? And for me, at this point in my life right now, going through court's addiction is the price that I've had to pay so far to know him. And I am so grateful for that because it changed everything for my whole life to know him. That is beautiful. <laughs> and such and and well and really earned. You know, and that's what I feel like this isn't a, just a flippant thing, but something to your core. And I yeah. really, I have been blessed for you sharing this. I know it's just good because not everyone is going to have to deal with addiction in their life, but we are all dealing with something. And I think that your story really resonates in that this is what we need to go through and we all get this choice, right? We all get this choice to choose Christ. And then when we do, and we we talk a lot about in our Thursday episodes, we talk about our quest. Like what is our quest right now? What does God want us to do? And in everything, whether it's something like a trial or, or it's something we're choosing to do, when we choose Christ, everything changes. Everything yes. changes. 
and it doesn't take it away immediately, you know, um, but it does put us in a position that we don't have to be alone. Yep. A hundred percent. So I love that. So in, in closing, I would love you to maybe share with our listeners, think of the person who either has someone going to addiction or is just in a bad place. Like what would you, or, or think of yourself back, you know, when you were in the middle at 22, you know, what would you tell yourself back then? And what hope would you give? So the first time that I really felt hope was in our very first 12 step meeting that we went to And each week we read a different step and we were on step seven and in it, it says, it quotes a scripture from Alma where he says, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. And um, I remember sitting in that meeting, just pain was like the only constant thing in my life, uh, the pain of addiction. And it was physical, like I could, I could feel it in my in my body and in my heart. And I remember sitting in that room thinking like, yeah, but how, like, I don't understand how I could ever feel joy on this same level, but being the eternal optimist that I am, it gave me hope to keep moving forward and keep doing the next right thing. And I write, I write my blog for the person that is where I was. Because, I mean, on the surface, it seems like it's about paint and pillows and projects. And I mean, it is, those things are all good. But I also know that there is probably someone who is reading that is dealing with really crappy life circumstances. And if I, for one minute, can give them a little bit of hope, even if it's to inspire them to go to the DI and buy an $8 end table and spray paint it bright yellow, that that hope, you have no idea what Heavenly Father can do with just a little bit of hope. And... So my advice, I guess, would be to just keep moving forward. And if you're dealing with addiction, find a 12-step meeting. If you go to arp.lds.org, you can put in your zip code, and you can find meetings all over the world. And um, particularly, like in southern Utah, there are 36, I think, 36 meetings a week down here that you can go to and go and don't be scared to go because you will be so overcome with love that you will find there. So they're not scary. They're, they're not, not scary. I, I think there's also a stigma there. And I think that sure. it's so beautiful to break that, that you're going to go well, and people are going to judge you and people are going to, you're going like, to see <gasps> someone that you know, yeah. like it's so scary. It's scary for everyone, but I promise you that you will find no judgment and only love and acceptance and understanding and the spirit. I promise. 
Mandy, we love you. <laughs> you are the absolute yeah. best. And um, this was such a good um, episode. And I just really feel like this is, we need to start talking. You know, we need to have this part of our conversation because, I mean, if the statistics are even close to right, you know, you are dealing, you know, someone who's dealing with addiction or you um, have someone really close to you. And so this is not something to be ashamed of. This isn't something no, to hide 100%. because because that's what Satan does is he makes you feel alone and that you can't, you could not share, you know? Yep. A hundred percent. And that is the biggest myth and the biggest lie that he tells is that you are alone. And there is so much love and support when you find someone to share your story with. And I mean, you guys can, if you, if you're dealing with addiction, like shoot me an email and I will totally be your listening ear because it can be very scary. And especially walking into a 12 step meeting for the first time and you don't know anybody. And it's, it's, it's stressful. Like I get it. But if you're in St. George, you can come to our meeting and we will just love it. Cause we're not, we're not like normal missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> a little we're outliers but we just love people and we love having the opportunity to share the spirit uh, through our story go 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 for sure meet Mandy <laughs> she will hug you and love you and if you you can't see but Every quote and every scripture that she shared from the 12-step program, she has memorized. And I can just feel that it's like ingrained into her heart. Anyway, I just have loved, loved hearing from you. And um, thank you. Thank you for being brave and for sharing you. You're awesome. Thank you. And I'm just like so grateful for this opportunity and for the airport just all of it so awesome all right you guys thank you so much for listening today and if you if you felt the hope from mandy and you know someone who needs this will you just share this out this could be the turning point for someone and hearing um her story and her story of hope and of the savior jesus christ um so thanks you guys for listening hey Thanks for listening to the Women With Fire podcast. Your support means a lot to us. In fact, your support is what makes this podcast possible. If you want to connect more with the guests we've had on our podcast and connect more with Sarah and Michelle, the creators of the Women With Fire podcast, find us on Instagram at The Women With Fire or find us in our Facebook group. Simply search Women With Fire and join the group. We'll see you there.